remember, you know, when we started Colossians chapter 3, we told you that uh, chapter 2 uh, was mostly a, a criticism of the false teachers, uh, and, and chapter 3 kind of affirms the Christian's new position. So that's why we said uh, we kind of centered our thought in chapter 3 around living the new life and uh, that God expects us to, to put on a new life as we, uh, after we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And, and in order to do that, he expects us to uh, uh, make sure that we understand what has happened to us when we identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We get baptized and we accept him as Lord and Savior. Then God is saying, hey, there's a, a new nation, a, a new creation that is taking place on the inside of us. And therefore, we have to live in a way that we're going to allow that new nature to take precedence over our old nature. And so that's how we get to this thought about uh, living in a new life. And so what I want to do, because we got down to about chapter, uh, about verse 12 in chapter uh, 3, and so I want to just kind of read real quick, 1 through uh, uh, 11, bring us back up to 12, and then we'll kind of pick up with the new stuff. So for anybody who's listening for the first time, all you have to do is go out on our website or on the podcast, and you can uh, find the last lesson so you would have some of the connected knowledge that you may need to make this make sense. So what we see here in chapter 3, uh, Paul is saying, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, we said set your sights on the realities of heaven. We spent some time there last time talking about, you know, a lot of Christians have not even settled in their heart and mind that heaven is real. And so therefore, if you don't believe that heaven is real, then there's a lot of other things in this Bible you won't believe, and then there are a lot of other things that you won't accept. And so therefore, in order for us to ac accept some of the things in God's word, we got to first believe that this is the word of truth. And so he's saying that you got to set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. We talked about that. He says, think about things in heaven, of heaven, and not things of earth. In other words, that we have to learn that we have to get beyond our temporal, uh, uh, natural way of thinking and start thinking of things from a, a godly, heavenly point of view. And so, therefore, when we start thinking on things of heaven, we think on things based upon our being inspired by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And, and in order to try to learn how God operates, not just in heaven, but more so in earth. But you can't get there if we don't change what we think on. And so the things that we think on, the things that we meditate on, the things that, that we allow uh, to come into our mind and stay there, those are the type of things that we would try to accomplish. So he says, now look, for you died, this is talking about a, 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 a spiritual death, to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, to the whole world, you will share in his glory. In other words, he was alluding to Jesus' second coming and saying that because we are now in him, when we he returns, because we suffer with him, we're going to share in his glory. We will reign with him. He says, now, as a result of that relationship that we have in Christ, in verse 5, he starts telling us that, as, as, as believers that we have to own conscious and, and consciously and on purpose, put away some things. So he says, so put to death the sinful nature. 
the sinful, earthly thing lurking within you. In other words, he says in verse 5, so put to death the sinful, earthly thing lurking within you. And we had some fun with that word lurking last time because we say even though we're saved now, and even though we're trying to live for the Lord, there's some old things that's still lurking within us. And, and if we're not conscious of those old things that's lurking within us, then they will ambush us. As we're trying to live for the Lord, they will ambush us, and then we'll find ourselves doing some things that we said we had been delivered from. And so if we understand that there's always a war going on, a battle going on between our flesh and our spirit, then we won't be surprised when our old nature try to rise, raise up against the spirit that, w- that is within us. He says, so now we have to understand that there's some earthly things lurking within, have nothing to do with, then he started listing some things, I'm not going to spend time on to just read them because they're pretty self-explanatory. He says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. In other words, he said we can get so caught up and consumed with the things of this world and we become greedy. And so therefore, if our greed become excessive, then what we are craving for can easily become our God. It can become an idol to us. So, so he's saying, hey, look, as we grow and become more like Christ and living in this new life, we have to put away this, this spirit of greediness. He says, he says in verse 6, he said, because of these things, the things we just listed in verse 5, the anger of God is coming. In other words, we said and made it clear that God still don't condone sin. You know, I know we don't like to talk about sin today because it's, not, it's a turnoff for a lot of people, but that don't change what God thinks about sin. So every now and then we just have to say and agree with what God says, and then folk going to do what they want to do. But we can't allow people to live in ignorance because the church won't stand up and call right, right, and wrong, wrong. So every now and then we just have to agree with God and let the chips fall where they're made. He says, now look, you used to do these things. Somebody say used to. So that's because you're a new person now. You're not supposed to be still practicing those things that you used to do. He said, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of, he adds to that list now by adding some other things that, that we have to deal with in our, in our, in our conscience, our emotion, our feelings, and, and the things that take place on the inside of us. He said, now look, you've got to get rid of anger. Rage, malicious behavior. In other words, when you, when you purposely want to hurt somebody, slander and dirty language. And you know, we're living in a time now where, you know, I don't think, you know, but I have to ask most of y'all, what do y'all consider dirty language? You know, what is dirty language? Because now language that we used to consider dirty is mainstream now. You know, it used to be a time certain things couldn't be said at certain times on television, now it's mainstream. You can catch that, what I consider dirty language, 7.30. You know, you ain't got to wait till the kids go to bed now. Dirty language, dirty language is in the music that, that, that we listen to. Amen? And so therefore, now, we can't stop folks from creating music with dirty language in it. And I can't stop you from listening to it. Probably you like it, you like it. But I can say you can't let too much dirty language get in your spirit. Where, where you, where, because once you start bringing that in, then guess what? That dirty language will get in your mind, and before you know it, it'll come out your mouth. 
Amen. So, so, so we have to make a mind. Now, I don't have time to just go through and dis- discuss that in longer, but I do think as Christians, we ought to have a line somewhere where we say, that's dirty language. You know, it, it, it should not be a grave. Now, we may not always agree that every word someone say, you know, is dirty, but for you, you ought to know that's the word. Because we can take some dirty language that we consider dirty language and use it to define or describe somebody. In the English language, you know, when you were born outside of wedlock and your mama, or your dad didn't mar- marry your mama, you ca- they call you a bastard. Now, we, I consider that dirty language. But in that culture, they use it frequently. So what I'm trying to tell you, you have to determine what you consider dirty language. Now, for me, certain things that I can hear people say, and it just makes some curl up my neck, you know, because my spirit's saying, ooh, man, that shouldn't have been said. I mean, that, that to me is dirty language. So everybody has to understand that all language is not clean. Amen. And so when we know that, we have to define what, how we are going to see and, and consider what is dirty language. Amen? So now look at this. He says, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Verse 10. So put on your new, uh, put on, this talking about an action that we have to do. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. The intent of coming to church and the intent of studying the Bible and learning about the Lord Jesus Christ is so that we will grow and try to become more like him. And as we become more like him, we become more like God. Because he is our representation of what a heavenly God looked like based upon how he conducted and carried himself here in the earth. So based on that, as we grow, we ought to want to grow up to be like him so that we can learn to be like our creator and become more like him. Look at verse 11. He says, in this new life, it doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you are barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So in other words, he made some distinction there, even in, the, in, in that setting, because there were some people, because they were Jews, and they thought they were better than the Gentiles, and when people accepted Christ, you know, they became new creation in him. And so therefore, in him, there was no Jew or no Gentile. They were all one in him. And so he's saying, when you really understand that Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us, then you won't get caught up about the nationality of people who say they're Christian or not Christian. You, you, you won't get caught up so much uh, about whether people follow laws of being circumcised or uncircumcised. You know, that, that, that to you, the answer is, do you believe in Christ? Now, we can talk about a whole lot of other things, but, and we may disagree on some things, but at the end of the day, do you believe in Christ? Because for us, Christ is all that matters. And because there's so many things out there that people are believing in, those of us who believe in him got to be able to defend that.
because there's so much being taught today. And, and, and the danger of today compared to when I was a child, the information didn't travel that fast. You know, and even when I was a little boy, we didn't even get the newspaper every day. We only got the paper on the weekend. So news, we def- definitely was always behind. Now, I mean, as soon as something happens, it's on the news. As soon as people do something, it's out there. People even tell it on themselves before they can finish doing what they're doing. They posting. So information is moving much faster now than it did when we were younger. And so therefore, because of that, we got to make sure we know and understand who we believe in. And for us, Christ is all that matters. We, that's all that matters. And I can have a conversation with you about a, a lot of other things, but at the end of the day, how do you see Christ? It's all that matters. So we can disagree on how we baptize, whose name we want to be baptized in. Do we be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus or, 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 or Jesus only, in Jesus' name only? At the end of the day, Christ is all that matters. I won't argue with you over a method of baptizing. I just need to know do you, who you believe he is. And so sometimes we understand that that can cut down a lot of confusion in churches and, and among Christians because we focus on the wrong thing and we major on things that really are minor in the big picture of God's plan. And so he says, now look, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us as we say. Now he said, now look, verse 12, kind of what we left off at. Since God chose you, somebody said chose you. He said God chose you to be what? Holy people he loves. Now, God chose us, but he had an expectation. He could have just said, God chose you to be people that he loves. And that would have been okay if he wanted to leave it like that. But we can't skip over the word holy. And today, I say this all the time, in the church, we don't like that word too much no more. That word turns people off sometimes because they get a vision of someone trying to be holier than thou when all it means that, hey, when God chose you, he separated you, sanctified you, and set you apart for his use. And so now when we understand that, then now that ought to cause us to want to live in a way that is going to please God. Because he chose us to be holy people that he loves. Now then he says, you must clothe yourselves. In other words, he used analogy of things that we have to put on, something that ain't going to just happen. You got to do it on purpose. So he says, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. In other words, you got to have a, a, a heart that can be sympathetic when other people are suffering, when other people are going through. So he says now, you, he chose us to be holy so that we can have a tender-hearted mercy. Then he says we got to be kind. In other words, kindness here is talking about acts of benevolence, where you do something for someone else, even if you can't have something done for you in return. Then he says, you got to also clothe yourself with humility. Humility 
is an attitude that keeps us from being puffed up. Humility is the antidote to pride. The Bible says pride go before, before fall. So therefore, he tells us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of the Lord. So he says, now we have to put these things on because if we want to live holy, you can't get there if you can't practice these things. You can't get there if you don't understand mercy. You ain't going to get there if you're not kind. You're not going to get there if you don't understand humility and gentleness. That means, you know, considerate of other people sometimes. When things going on, be considerate of other people. Sometimes we can be short, but I'm going to show you here in a few minutes that God don't even expect us to be too short to one another. Amen. Then he said, Major, you laughing. But he said, when you get on gentleness, you got to put on patience. Now, this, sometimes, this, you know, he's talking to church folks. He said, this is just saying, Brother Greg, that sometimes I got to just be able to put up with you. And you got to be able to just put up with me. So we may not always agree, but we got to always understand that, hey, we got to learn how to coexist with one another, and we have to put on Patience. I'm going to show you something that blew my mind here in this next verse. So he said, now look at this. After you've got to do all those things, the tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, then he says, make allowances. That stopped me in my track right there. That means I got to on purpose do something. Major, he's saying, I got to actively seek to overlook and forgive your faults and mistakes. It's almost like when you set aside allowance for your children, you make allowance, you put it aside. So he said, look here, you got to make allowance for one another. It ain't something that just going to happen. You got to make it. So he says, make allowance for each other's faults. Because we all got faults. We all got shortcomings. So you if you don't have no allowance set aside for Pastor Bolden, then when I upset you, you ain't going to show me those things we just got through reading about. Because ain't no allowance in my account. Amen. It's the same thing. The other way around. You're married. You got to make allowances for your husband or your wife. Make allowances for each other's fault. Because married people have faults too. And so sooner or later, he transitioned right from this part and then started talking about marriage. So he said, now look, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So man, when it comes to forgiving, I can't do it if I ain't going to even make no allowance for you, mate. I ain't even got you in my account. I don't even plan on making no allowance for you. So when you do something that go against me, then guess what? You bankrupt, man. Ain't no, ain't no making allowance for you. I'm going to hold out against you. And when I hold out against you, then I'm not going to be seeing Christ as all that matters. I'm not going to act like he would have me back. I see your hand, Brother Fred. So go ahead and get a mic so when I, if you don't have one already, so after I make this last point. So he says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends. Just because you go to church 
don't mean you're not going to be offended in church. Amen? So if you go to church with some allowance in your pocket, when someone in church offend you, you don't have to accept it. Because you don't already made a I done made a line for whoever I'm going to meet today. They ain't going to cause me to, you know, go back to my old nature. That's making a line. See, we don't make a line. That means on purpose, we got to start thinking, man, I, I need to go to church with some allowance in my, in my spirit. Because there's a potential that somebody's going to upset me the minute I walk in the church. But I already made a line for them. No matter what they do, you tell them I got to forgive them. So now, Fred, go ahead and, and, and make your point. Uh, verse 12, going back to uh, since God calls you to be the holy people he loves. Now, he says, tender heartedness, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience come before the holiness or after the holiness? Well, you know, he says God chose you to be the holy people he loves. So that to be let me know that this holiness thing is not automatic. Because if it was, a lot of us be living a whole lot better now. It ain't going to just happen. Holiness, to get to that process, is a process of sanctification where you got to grow and become more and more like Jesus. So that's why he says it now. We have the Holy Spirit in us, but just because we have the Holy Spirit in us when we accept Jesus don't mean that all of us going to act like we holy. So now look at this. Let's go back, Fred. So you, you made a good point. He says, so God chose you to be to be the holy people he loved, to be the holy people he loved. Then he says, in order to do that, you must clothe yourself, things you got to put on, tenderhearted, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I believe that those things are, is a process that you have to recondition the way your, your flesh thinks, and the, your, your, your natural man thinks, in order for you to continuously put on those things in every situation that come up in your life. And so, so when he says that, he says, now look, so we, we talked about making allowance for each other's fault. And then, verse 14, he says, above all, somebody say above all. All those things, them little nice tidbits I told you about earlier, he says, above all, clothe yourself with love. Because if you don't mix love with all those things right there, it don't mean nothing. It's almost like, you know, the Corinthians 13, you know, that talk about you got you can do this, you can do that, speaking, you got the voice of angels and all that good stuff. But if you ain't got love, you just make it noise. Loud sounding symbol and a tingling brass. So now he says, above all, somebody say clothes. Just think about that in a natural. When you get up in the morning, the first thing you gotta do is have to put on something. And after you get through doing whatever you're gonna do, you put on clothes. So he's saying, now look, love, you got to clothe yourself with it. You got to put it on. You got to on purpose believe that you can love like God wants you to love. He says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. If there is no love, there will be no harmony. Maybe go ahead. I was, I was thinking, so wouldn't uh, being holy and loving 
encompass all those other things that we talked about and like it, they're not separate or you don't get I don't see how you can get to holy and get to love without the others the tender hearted mercy the kindness humility and those things can you because and then even if you have those things if you ain't loving then I mean don't they encompass all of that being <coughs> holy doesn't that you're set apart but you're still doing all those things and if you're loving you're still doing all those things well, you can, you can be set apart because of your acceptance of Jesus Christ, but you can still not be doing the things that God requires you to do. You would think that when we are set apart and sanctified for his use, then we have to start living it, living out that through, by doing those things. And what he's trying to get us to see here is that love is the thing that binds all those things together. It's almost, if you can almost this to the fruit of the spirit where it started off saying the fruit of the spirit is love and, and some say love is the main fruit that bind all those other things that is added to the fruit of the spirit the love the peace the joy the tender heart i mean the, the mercy the forgiveness you know and uh, i don't know all nine of them right off the top of my head but they but but they they're connected with love so what he's saying is look when you get into this relationship with god Man, and you understand who Jesus is, you've got to, above all, clothe yourself with love because God is love. And, 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 if, and, and, and we could almost say that if we operate in total godly love, then it should encompass all these things because it binds all those things together. So if I love you, you know, like Jesus said when he kind of told him about the Ten Commandments, he said, you know, I leave you with these two. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, spirit, soul, mind, and body. Love thy neighbor as thyself. He said, if you do all those, if you do those two things, then the other one will come easy. Because if you practice love, you ain't going to steal from your neighbor. You ain't going to kill your neighbor. You're not going to, you know, violate your neighbor's wife or a husband and all that. Because love should override all those things. So, so, so Brother Herb, get a mic. You got a mic? Okay. After Major, go ahead. So, it says... God chose you. So if God chooses you, you have to accept it, right? I mean, or you don't. If, if, if God chose us, in other words, from his point of view, he chose us as those who would accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Right. He says, now look, he chose us by accepting Jesus. Then now he's telling us he expects us to be holy. He, he didn't call us and choose us to continue to live like we were living before he called us. Right, but so, but you said, so, it's like what you said before. Just because he chose us, that don't mean we're going to live those things. So you could be chose and be a sinner. You can be chose and live unholy. Right. His right. is a good example of that. They were chosen, but there were consequences when they lived Unholy. Yeah, I mean, they, every time they cut the food, they end up in captivity. And so there is consequences for unholy living, even though he chose you. Amen. Brother Herb? Yeah, I mean, we just, we just read um, in verse 10, it says, put on your new nature mm -hmm. and be renewed as you learn, know your creator, 
and become like him. That tells me is since I have this new nature in me, I have to learn how to walk this Christian walk. All the things that, uh, that comes towards me and the sense that you just talked about. I put on these, I put on kindness. I put on gentleness because I learn, I'm learning to be that. So you have to learn that. Amen. It's That's a growing process. I mean, you, have, you have to learn. And when you learn that, and it, then you put off, you know, you don't have these old things in you. You have the new on you. So you have to continue to learn. Just like Israel, just like, like the Jew had to, the Jew too, his people, his chosen people had to learn how to walk. But again, they walked in sin and they got whooped. God spanked them. But I'm saying, well, but yeah, but, but see the thing is, this, but this is, this is my thing too. I was going to ask the question too, is that once you have turned yourself over, you have committed yourself and walked this way, and if sin comes your way, you're going to have to suffer the consequences. So my point is, is that if you're going to keep this sin in you, you're going to get spanked. God, God's going to punish you. I mean, you ain't going to walk free. I mean, to a point where it's, it's, you're going to get spanked. I, I mean, it's, it's in the words there. I, I'm just saying. Amen. And I think that's why when we go back to what he was trying to get us to see in this particular chapter, it is all talking about how we live this new life. And, 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 the, and as we try to live this new life, the old life, we said is what? Lurking. The old life don't care that God called you to be holy. But if you are mindful that he's, the old life is going to always try to trip you up, then you can strive to live like God wants you to live and strive to be what he wants you to be, but at the same time realizing that, hey, there's something on the inside of me. If I don't take care of it every day and check it, it could cause me to go back and do something that's unholy. And I'm pretty sure, if you know we were all honest in here, Probably since, you know, the last two weeks since we had read this. Some of y'all done been, had that lurking just jump up on you. I ain't say you, had to, you gave in to it, but I mean, you had the opportunity. It was there. But some on the inside, he said, man, he's trying to ambush me, trying to set me up. And so what we got to understand, because we're in this warfare, there's always going to be things that happen to us to try to get us to live below our prison to live in an unholy manner, and then now that becomes, according to what Brother Herbert's saying, at some point there's going to be consequences for the things that we do that go against what God would have to do. Adrian, I saw you get a mic. I was going to add to um, what Brother Herb said. Um, not only do you learn to put on those things, that, the tenderhearted, the humility and all those, but I still go back to the, um, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. I feel like um, with that love, you do those things because you, you love God. Because you have that relationship, you're able to put on humility, put on 
you know, instead of choosing to do the opposite of what the word says, you're going to choose to do that because of that relationship. Because of the love that you have for Christ, you might, instead of going this way, I'm going to go this way. And so it does bind it all together when I think about it. The love brings it all together. I feel like because you love him, you can operate in, the, in humility and in, and in all of those, those things that are said. Good point. Good point. Brother Fred, go ahead. Should, should, you know, just like our old nature thing with sinful attributes, should our new nature automatically come with things that's, that's pleasing to God? When we, when we put on that new nature, shouldn't some things automatically come with that new nature? Just like some things came with our old nature when we were born? We were born contrary to the will of God because of our old nature. Now when we take on that new nature, shouldn't some things be included in that new nature that's pleasing to God? I, I believe that, but the problem is, Fred, I, I think, you know, when you say that, that we got this new nature, the thing that I think that happened to us immediately is that after we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he said we get a spirit. That, that now, that's the nature, you know, God said my nature is in you. But now that we have a divine nature in us, that nature got to grow. We got to nourish it. We got to feed it. We got to do the things that would allow it to go because just because it's in us don't mean we're going to act it out. We got to allow it to grow so that it can override our old nature, which is still in us. You know, that the old nature, that's why Paul talks about this war that's going to go on inside of us. You know, the spirit is warring against the flesh. You see? And, and as long as we're living, I believe that, you know, a war can break out anytime on the inside of you. Now, and you can't stop that all the time, but you ought to be growing to the point where you ain't losing that battle no more. There's some battles you ought to be winning now because you're growing and that holiness piece is, 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 is overpowering that fleshly piece. To, uh, to fight against. The old nature just did what it wanted to do. It, it didn't have, it wasn't in conflict with nothing else. But now that we, when we get that new nature, there's a conflict going on because now the new nature is trying to guide and lead us in the right way, even though the old nature is telling us, no, you've been doing, you're, you've been like this for a long time now, so why change? So, so that's when the battle comes in. Ms. Deborah, did you want to add something to that? Yes, I just want um, in my mind, uh, I'm thinking, you know, with the Holy Spirit residing in us, the true nature we're talking about, that we're equipped with all of these things. It's just a matter of us, just like faith, growing, maturing, you know, denying ourselves, you know, like Paul said, dying daily to ourselves, to allow those fruits to, you know, that just everything to manifest. Exactly, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I can uh, uh, agree with that 100% because the Bible says, for the fruit of the Spirit is. Because it's depicted as fruit, that means it just don't manifest itself overnight. There are certain things that have to grow in us. Even though the Spirit of God is in us when we accept Jesus Christ, we still have to grow to the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So therefore, as we grow, as Fred said, Major said, others said, then we ought to start manifesting some of those things that fruit produce. The love, the peace, the joy. You know, self-control, kindness, gentleness. So that ought to be the outcome of having the Spirit of God living on the inside of you and you trying to grow to become more and like, more like Jesus Christ. Ms. Marvel, go ahead. 
Well, when you accept the Lord in your life and start walking with him, that old nature don't like it. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from doing, but you have to have a willing spirit to say, I have the Holy Spirit within me, and now I'm going to. You've got to do something. There's something that we have to do. I can choose to go back and live the way I used to live, or I can choose to live the way God wants me to live. And so it's our choice. It's choice-driven. Everything that we do is choice-driven. So we have to realize that we have to make the effort to live a godly life and live with love within. And forgiveness is one thing that, I, when I look at it, every time somebody does something to me, I think about how many times did God forgive me? What I did? I mean, and who am I to say I'm not going to forgive this person because God forgave me of every one of my sins. And so it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It is hard. But we've got to learn how to walk in it once we become. We've got to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and direct us and not go back. Like Pastor say, we, we use these words and what have you. He was talking about bad words. When I used bad words years ago, it was only because I was angry or upset with somebody or mad or what have you. But when God changed those words and took those words, I tried and I couldn't. But when God took those words out of my mouth, I'm telling you, one day I was, we was having an argument and not a word came out. And I knew it was the Holy Spirit. It was nothing that Barbara did because I know I could rattle off if I was upset. That's the only time I ever got upset anything bad. So we have a choice in what we do. We've got to really make up in my, our mind that we're going to walk this walk with God and we're not going to let the enemy come in and take us back to do the old things that we used to do. Amen. Amen. Any other comments? Brother Herb, yes. One, one of the things in my, my, my knowledge and, and wisdom is that, you know, th there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. Mm -hmm. And what I look at it to the point where now in the sense of saying new is that, you know, it says you're going to be uh, re reborn. And that's what Nicodemus couldn't understand that. Mm -hmm. And then reborn, that means now I'm being a new creature. A new, uh, I'm born again. I mean, I'm newborn. So I'm like a little baby now. I don't know everything. So I need to be taught. I need to be trained on how to be walk in the spiritual realm. Amen. And as I grow, that's what he says. Also, it says in another example, you know, you, you got to stop drinking. You know, you got to take the milk. Now you got to eat. You got to have meat. Amen. So you got to grow. So when I, that's the way I look at it in the sense that now I'm in a, a new life in the spiritual realm. And I'm walking as a child. Now I'm growing it up. Each, each day, each moment in my life right now, I'm growing to, to mature into this, this in, you know, in the spiritual realm of newborn. That's the way I look at it. Amen. I mean, and, and I think I think we'll all agree that the end game is that after, uh, again, because the Bible uses a lot of analogies of growth with children, growing, babes, milk, and all that, uh, to, to paint a picture for us that this growth is a process. But at some point in time, I don't think we can all say the process is cookie cutter for all of us. You know, just like in the natural, all babies don't progress at the same rate. However, doctors do have charts that they kind of figure, okay, if your child is three years old, they ought to at least, based upon your family structure, da-da-da, ought to at least be this size, weigh this much, da-da-da, 
And if they're not, then we maybe need to run some tests to see if something's wrong, see what is going on with their growth. They ought to be talking a little bit now. That they got a measurement. So for each and every one of us, I think we have to say that once we got saved, there ought to be some way that we can look back at our lives and see how we have grown in our relationship with Jesus. And all of us probably grew at different rates. It, and it sometimes depends on once you give your life to the Lord, who you hang around. Your, your, growth, can be, you, your growth can be more uh, uh, faster if you're hanging around like-minded people who are trying to go in the same direction. But for a lot of us, though, when we first got saved, we kind of straddled a little bit. Some people just locked, stock, and barrel, gave it all to the Lord and gave up everything. But some people still had friends on the other side of the fence. And so, therefore, my new friends, I don't know much about them. I just met them at church, but I don't know a whole lot about them. But my old friends, man, we've been together for years. So as I go through this growing process, how do I get rid of some things in my life and then add other things in that's going to be more beneficial to me? And for each person, I think that is a challenge, and it's, it's different for everybody. But the expectation is, is that we gotta grow, we got to grow to the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the expectation. But that's the only way you're going to live up to God's expectation of us trying to be holy. No other way you're going to get there. So he says, now look, so in verse 14, we'll read it again real quick. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds all of us together in perfect harmony. He says, now look, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. So now he's telling church folk, y'all got to let peace rule in your heart. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, when I looked at that, this peace, you know, you got to see this is that not God, God is not telling us that just because we all of a sudden, you know, come to church, give our life to Christ, and we're all members of the same church, that we're going to all walk immediately in peace with one another. No, I mean, you're going to have difference of opinion even after you've been in church for a while. But what he's saying is that when you do have those differences of opinion, they should not get so deep that it divides you from your brothers and your sisters and then now cause you to disrupt the harmony. You know, sometimes you agree that we're just going to disagree and leave it at that. And that got to work the same way even in relationships. I mean, it, it, no matter how long you've been married, every now and then, man, something's going to get in and try to upset the harmony. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, the enemy's going to come at that. And so just because he's trying to upset the harmony, you got to say, okay, love, hold this thing together. I got to make some allowances for you. You got to make some allowances for me. And then when we try to live in peace, then we do so by always being thankful. Going back to what Ms. Marva said, we should always remember what God did for us. That ought to be the thing that, that kind of motivates us to want to do right by other people when we think back. And a lot of times, I don't think we're reflective of what God did for us. And because we're not reflective of what God did for us, it's easy for us to forget that when it comes to making allowances for other people. So he says, now look, we got we to gotta do those things. Then now, in verse 16, he said, now look, let the message about Christ and all its riches, in other words, the fullness of that message, the gospel, 
the good news about Jesus Christ, God's word in general, is rich, it's deep. You know, it is, it, it is to be desired and it's strong. He said, let the message about Christ and all this richness fill your lives. Going back to what Brother Herb said next day, teach and counsel each other with all wisdom that he gives. So now this is letting me know that everybody that can teach people about Jesus don't necessarily have to be no licensed or ordained person. The pew should be able to teach each other and counsel each other about the things of God. And we ought to be praying for that wisdom that comes from above. Then he said, now look at this. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with heartfelt thanks. Now I'm saying, why did he say that? Jump off of wisdom and teaching and counseling right into singing. And you know what? Songs can be used as an instrument to teach just as much as they can be to shout. That can be a teaching component in what you sing. A lot of time because now artists don't frame a lot of their songs based on God's word, you don't always see it, but if they would go back to the scripture and, and, and pull things out of the scripture and connect it to the things the way God wants to, those songs can serve as not only to make us shout, but to teach us some things. You know, our children learn a lot of things because we sing it to them. Some kids ain't going to get A, B, C. But when you say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. Wow, they got that. But you've been talking about A, that's an A. No, well, no. <laughs> Sing it to them. Most of the, the, the toys that they got for kids now, sing and talk to them. Amen. So he said, now look, you know, these hymns and, and, and psalms are designed to help us to be thankful, but at the same time, they can be used to teach and counsel. Man, just imagine if someone would take the Proverbs and put them to song. Take the Psalms, which were songs, and sing them to people. There's a message in there. There's something that can be learned and something that can be taught. And Brother Herb is right. God expects his people to be taught. We got to be taught this. It don't just happen. The, the church got a responsibility to teach people about God's word and God's way. But what happened is now there's so much competition with the gospel. I mean, so it's hard for God to even get his 10% of your time. I mean, I would venture to say most of us don't tithe 10%. Back to God. In time. Two hours and 40 minutes a week. Now you catch some of it in church on Sunday, hour and a half. But do you fill in the rest of that or is all you get? You're trying to stay holy and keep your flesh in check on an hour and a half worth of energy. And you got to go with them other 144, 148 hours, I mean, hours in a, 160 some hours in a week. And you trying to do battle with only 
an hour and 30 minutes and then get mad when they go long. And we wonder why the church is malnourished. That we don't want to put in the time. Someone has told us it don't take all that. And I'm not saying that you ain't got to get it here, but you got to get it somewhere. It ain't going to just happen <laughs> unless you give God the time. What, what do you mean now? Say, make that cl- plain to me. So the church was the hooping and the hollering and give me your money. It wasn't open the Bible, let me teach you what the Bible says about this. It was a sermon. It was, don't do this, don't. It wasn't, it wasn't teaching what the Bible says. Yes, there were some lessons, but it was a lot of do's and don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that. That's, that's the church that we knew. And until we started opening the Bible, and then even then, nobody told you to do it for yourself. Even if, even if preachers and pastors weren't going to do it, they didn't tell you to, to, to do it for yourself. They wanted you to, to rely on, on them. And in some places, there weren't even Bibles in the church. And, you know, back in the old days, but, you know, when I brought up, even in the church I grew up in, that's one thing we did. We had pew Bibles and hymnals. I mean, we just had those, you know. And that sat in the back. <laughs> that, that sat in the back of the chair, and, and we didn't open it. Well, that's, at that time, because, again, you're right. I mean, the, the tradition was, is Reb was going to get a text, right. exegete a little bit, but he, we know he was going to sing. We, we know he, he wasn't going to go through line by line and read nothing to it. He was gonna, that, that was just the style of preaching. I ain't got no problem with that. Because some of it was good. You know, one of the best sermons I, I, that changed my life was the, one of the prodigal sons. And, and the guy that did that, man, you know, he just read a little bit of it, closed the Bible, but he animated that whole thing, man. I remember it like it was yesterday, man. He, he, he took that thing to a whole new level just by having on some regular clothes up under his robe. I don't remember nothing else he said, but I remember when he took that robe off and he had them raggedy clothes on depicting the son that was in the pig pen. Now, that was enough for me. I didn't understand the whole prodigal son, but I understood the message that he was saying that, man, look, yeah, everybody can go through that pig pen experience, but they got to come to God. Now, when I learned and read the Bible for myself, I could see it was much deeper than that. There were some issues that led up to all of that and the relationship with dad, brother, and the whole family. But you're right. But, but that don't negate the fact that we were supposed to study ourselves. Now, we're supposed to read ourselves. Yes, the pastor ought to be teaching you something. Yes, yes. But, but let me tell you something. Uh, in a lot of churches now, Bible study is no longer, no longer in vogue. I mean, a lot of churches, see that, they see that because our members don't want that. So studying the Bible is not something that you see in a lot of churches now. I'm not saying they don't get something, but they don't just open and go up to the right. I'm not saying one is right or wrong or the other. But if that's the word of God, you got to get it from somewhere. And if you ain't going to get it at church, you got to get it on your own. you got to go home and put some time in and read and study for yourself. And now they got just programs out there that can help you navigate your way through this Bible. You can't get around studying God's word some kind of way. Brother Fred? You, you know, like Major said, we were told about a lot of do's and don'ts, but we wasn't, we, we was not taught about the Holy Spirit to help us keep 
from doing the don't. You see what I'm saying? We, we, we had to try to do that on our own. We weren't told that, hey, the Holy Spirit is your helper to help you not do the don'ts that you should be doing and help you do the do's that you should be doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, and again, Fred, I don't want to get too deep in this theology and how people interpret the role and, and, and duty of the Holy Spirit, you know. You're right. Uh, we, we talk. Uh, we didn't talk a lot in the Baptist church that I grew up in about the Holy Spirit. And, and so therefore, when, when I saw people experience the Holy Spirit, it was connected to a shower. You know, you got the Spirit on over there. And, you know, she was tearing up the second pew. And she tore it up every Sunday at the same time uh, on clockwork. So I remember that. I said, okay, you can just look up. Okay, it's about that time. And then go off over there. And so I'm saying that, man, the spirit shouldn't be that predictable, but I didn't know enough to say whether that was right or wrong. That was just what I was experiencing. And I was brought up in. And so therefore, what we got to do, we have to dig a little deeper for ourselves, read and study his word for ourselves, and then let the spirit of God speak to our heart. Because the methods or the styles that we were brought up in worship, they can be varied from culture to culture, from denomination to denomination, but the word of God ought to be consistent. The, the scriptures ought to be consistent. The methods and how we do certain things may vary, but the word ought to be consistent. And people need to be taught the word of God. But, but again, a lot of times teaching is, is boring. I mean, it don't bring the fire sometimes. You know, people want to feel something. And so it's easier to address Brother Anthony's feelings, and I can do that without studying. I ain't got to study to talk long enough to touch a feeling in him. What men go through, work hard all the week, and sure, and acting up. Can I get a witness? got to study to do that. No, he acted up this week. But honey, you stay with him. Can I get a witness? Yeah, yeah, okay. Got it. So there are ways that you can speak to people's feelings and emotions without even using God's word. But I would rather the word of God pop off that page and just make your spirit stand up because it quickened you because you was reading it, man, and all of a sudden you say, wow, I understand what God means now. Miss Mom, did, who, who did they have to hand up? Go ahead, Miss Mom. I can understand what Major's saying, but that Major, that was years ago when we didn't, uh, when they really didn't teach in the church. And uh, a lot of times when I went to church, I know I didn't really learn a lot. I went to church on Sunday mornings, loved going to church, but I didn't really learn a lot in church. Didn't know anything about accepting the Lord in my life until I was in my 30s and heard somebody say, have you accepted the Lord in your life? And I was like, what are they talking about accepting the Lord in my life? And I realized then that I had not been taught, but then it took me to get into the word. So we have to do something. You can't just go on what somebody else tell you. Now it's your learning. Even though you didn't get the teaching, even though I didn't get the teaching that I thought I needed to get when I was younger, 
when I became 30-something years old, now I had to get into this Bible myself. I had to learn. I had to dig. So we got a part to play in it. We've got to get in it. And we can't expect the Holy Spirit to do it all. You've got a part to do in it. you got to read. you got to study. And you got to put the time in. And then once you do that, the Holy Spirit will come in and begin to move and change things around. But you've got a part to play in it, a big part. Oh, yeah, yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was just saying, when the pastor was saying, you got to be taught the word. And I was just saying, the early church, yeah. you, didn't, you didn't learn that. And I'm talking, you know, on my 20s. And, and when I left home, that was my depiction of church. Mm-hmm. It was. And then I said, well, I'm not going to go because what they're telling me not to do, they're doing it. So I, I thought that all churches were like that. Nobody said, you got to read the Bible for yourself. Nobody tried to teach me or help me to understand that until later on. And, and, and later on. And, and I would say that in some, if they were the church at all, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say there was some component of Sunday school or Bible study there. It, it, it may have been, we may not have been receptive to it at that time because we didn't have a hunger and a thirst. We were just kind of going to church to fill that square. Mama told me to go, I'm just going because somebody, I'm not going there to get anything out of this myself. Because I understand that you know, when, when we were coming up now, again, uh, all of us wouldn't be, be able to, uh, to be in church with all the, the, the ministers that served us were seminary ministers. A lot of these guys, you know, you know, came out of condition where they had to learn how to do what they was doing to you, to teach you, you know, without going to seminary, without having all that, that, that background now. So they had to rely on the Holy Spirit. And so when you take all those things in consideration, it still don't negate the fact that, hey, as Christians, as believers, man, we got to try to do some studying on our own. We got to try to read this Bible on our own and ask God to, the Holy Spirit is a teacher, and ask him to help us with some clarity and, and some of the things that we don't understand. Okay? But, Brother Anthony, real quick. Um, Pastor, you're trying to steal my thunder because the word says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst at the righteousness for they shall be filled. And Herb already touched on that. When you're hungry and you're trying to grow, you eat. So it's not so much that pastor has to come and tell me what I need to do. When the spirit who is trying to renew our minds and our hearts move upon us, then we should be hungry enough to, I need something in the, in the Bible. And I, it doesn't take a program and prodding from anybody, whether it's here striving or any other church. Because I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to sit under people who said, this is what we're going to do, but you need to go home and do the homework. And this is what we're going to talk about. And it's the same here. I mean, if anybody who has sat, we already know we're doing the entire book of Colossians, and it only takes half an hour to read the entire thing. So it's not like it's something grievous for us, but we still fall trapped under the same, the old man, oh, you're too tired to do this. Oh, don't worry, you got time. You could just procrastinate, do it later, because we can come up with any excuse not to do what we need to do. Amen. So now let, let, let me move on, because I want to finish this tonight. So look at this, verse 17. So as it talk about being thankful hymns and spiritual songs and things of that nature that we ought to, you know, uh, have in our music. And again, I, I don't know how you guys listen to music and determine what, what is good music or not when it comes to uh, Christian music and stuff like that. But I'm a lyric guy. I mean, I, I listen to what they sing. I don't get caught up in the beats and how all that. I'm listening to the content. What are they talking about? You know, 
is this got a gospel message in it? And, and not all gospel singers have to sing a gospel message, meaning the death, burial, resurrection, talking about Jesus all the time. But look here, then if it ain't going to be gospel, just say it's inspirational. Because the gospel has a certain flavor to it. And so therefore, and, and some inspirational music is good, especially if they're connected to scripture. I ain't got no problem with that. But there's some songs out there you can't even tell who they're talking about. And, and, and we just bebopping to it on the, on the Christian channel, just bebopping, and they ain't said nothing about Jesus now time. Just talking in pronouns. I can't wait to see him. Well, who is him? I just want to be with her. And then I hope him be there. You know, come on, man. I was listening to some, I ain't going to call the artist's name, but I was listening to the thing, man, I was a critical listener. I'm listening to the whole thing. I said, man, I like the beat to that song, but I did not hear Jesus in it one time. But it was referenced about how much I love somebody. Can't wait to spend time with him. You know, da-da-da. I'm saying, sooner or later, you got to say Jesus, because if you don't say Jesus, you could be talking about your boyfriend. But everybody got their own taste of music, so I'm not, I'm not a whole hard critic on all that, but I do think we got to learn. The Bible says music got to teach us something. Amen. That we listen to it ought to teach us something. Look at verse 17. He says now, and whatever you do or say, do or say, do or say, action and word, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to the Father, to God, the Father. Whatever you do or say, your words and your actions, you ought to do them as a representative of the Lord Jesus. See, when we do and say and forget who we represent, then the old nature come up, Brother Her. Because we don't forget who we represent. That's why, you know, you can be in love at home and all this, all this stuff like that. Hey, man, look at being love, in love with people, love with children and all that. But sometimes you forget to do and say, and your children see something that don't look like you're a representative. I'm just saying. He said you do it as a representative of the Lord. And that's a lesson right there by itself. I mean, and that stopped me in my track because I know, you know, sometimes you can just be so excited. You want to say something, but you got to do or say, man, I'm God's representative. And so therefore, if that's the case, Major, then whatever you do or say, somebody's looking at you and saying, man, you are a good or bad representative of the Lord Jesus. And see, that's what the world is doing. They're just looking to see who we represent. Because in their mind, they got some idea of how we're supposed to act. And they can tell based upon what we do and say. So we give thanks. Now look at this. Now he's going in, in verse 18. Let me get through with this. He says, look. Instructions for households, for Christian households. So look at this. He says now, and, and again, he says, coming here kind of like some of the language that you will find in, in, in the book of Ephesians. He says, wives, submit to your husband Amen. 
as is fitting to those who belong to the Lord. Now, Major, this passage here, along with Ephesians, has been used and misused by men of the cloth and others to make women be doormats instead of helpmates. I'm just, I'm just saying, I said amen to what you read. I'm, I'm just saying. I, I, I just said amen to what you read. That's all I did. <laughs> and, 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 and so what we got to see here, it says wives submit. In other words, it, if the man takes on his role as the head or the leader of the family, amen. and he's doing things the way God has prescribed them, then it looks like the woman, I'll say, I don't have a problem being the vice president under that leadership. But when he cutting the fool and ain't acting like he belonged to the Lord, then I'm not obligated to let him walk over me and abuse me and treat me any kind of way and then have somebody in the church come and tell, just hold on. No, you got a black eye. They don't hold on. No, you no, you don't submit to no no brutality. I know in the old days they used to tell her, just hang in there, baby. You know, he's he gonna change, he's gonna change. Well, until he has some evidence of change, you need to go move out for a little bit. Especially when you know it's Friday night, he's coming home cutting the food. Every Friday night. And so, but as a Christian man, we should want to live in a way in our family that represent the representative of the Lord. And if we're being good representative of the Lord, then we got to trust God that our wives and our children will be submissive to our leadership. Amen. And so that's what he's talking. He said, now look, so husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. That word love come around and he said, never treat them harshly, man. I mean, you just can't talk to them any kind of way. Say anything. Because Peter tells us you got to live with them as the weaker vessel. And, and so what, what he's saying, so you can't say you're a man of God and you treat your wife harsh. Amen. Talk to her any kind of way. Harsh. And I know sometimes, go back to that fruit of the spirit, when you lose self-control, harsh. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I'm going to get to the other part. <laughs> so, 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 so the wife should feel like submitting, don't put her in prison. I'm not, I'm not married into a prison sentence. Amen. And, and look here. Leadership ain't got nothing to do with education and who makes the most money. Now, the husband is the leader, whether he's a garbage man and, and you the president of the bank. You married him. Amen. Amen. And, 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 when, and when you married him, you, you knew what he was doing. Love overrode his occupation. That's right. 
And so now as long as he's living like a godly man and a garbage man at the same time, you ought to submit to him. Amen. Amen. Yep. Amen. Amen. You ain't supposed to throw. Well, I make the most money. I got you. You do. We ain't going to argue that point. But God didn't make you the head because you made the most. And these, this is a new phenomenon. You know, this wasn't, in the old days, y'all didn't work at all. Y'all wasn't even expected to work. Amen. So we never, we never saw that pitch coming where y'all were going to make more money than we were going to make. We didn't see that coming. <laughs> Because we thought y'all would always work for less. Pastor, who didn't work at all? At all? You didn't keep the house? Well, I'm talking, you know, if you feed and make sure you had clean clothes. <laughs> it was some work. Whether you left the house or not. Okay, that's a good point. That's uh, a fair point. That's well, a fair well, point. I have one now. When, um, when we was growing up, me and Miss Robin, she didn't work. She didn't work until the kids was uh, able to move out to uh, go to school. Amen. So she stayed home. Yeah, she she accepted that role. I mean, she, she stayed home, that. but she worked at home. Yeah, she stayed. Okay, she stayed at home. She, she cared for the kids, so that yes. was yes. work. But, but we're talking about it in the traditional sense that okay, get waking up and going to a nine to five. Yes. I, I'm sorry. I gotta I gotta say this. Go ahead. Y'all using work as if you had to leave the house, as if when you stayed home, you did not work. Okay, I mean an income earner. Okay. Let me use it like that then. Life, life be a work. Water be a work. I understood what you're talking about, income. Yeah, yeah, income earner. Because yeah. back in the but, day when I was coming up, the man was considered the breadwinner. Even when the insurance uh, man came to your income. house, they didn't even expect the wife to, we don't need no policy on her. She ain't got no job. You the breadwinner. You the one need the insurance. Well, now when you come to your house, both of y'all got to get some insurance. Because you make more than your husband do. You need more insurance on you. So if something happened to you, your husband and your children can live for at least five years without you. Or vice versa. But these weren't the dynamics that we were brought up with. But now we have to take all that in consideration because Women got good jobs now, man. They, they're educated, just educated, and more educated in some cases than men. Well, th that wasn't, you know, my parents, both my parents worked, my mother and my dad, but I wasn't brought up in that household. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, so again, so let's, he says, so now love your wives and never treat them harshly. Then he tells the children, always obey your parents, for this pleased the Lord. Then he tells the father, don't aggravate your children <laughs> or they will become discouraged. You know, sometimes we fathers just don't know when to shut up when it comes to our kids. Sometimes we just, we just go too far to the point we just aggravate them. I mean, we, ain't no, we no longer getting valuable information to them now. We just... And, and I know I used to be guilty of that with my kids. You know, I... I I thought I wanted the best for them, but they, they said I was aggravating. We heard you the first time. So now since y'all didn't do what y'all heard, <laughs> let me write it all down and put it on y'all door. And before you leave here every day, you're going to have a check mark in one of these boxes. 
they, I'm pretty sure they could have said, you aggravated us. Now, we're supposed to get ready to go to school, and before we go to school, we got to check off all these things. You did this, did that. <laughs> so you got to know how to, we got to know how to raise our children without aggravating. I still think they need to be disciplined, you know, but we don't want to use language that's going to discourage them, Amen. you know, and, and that's, the, that's the key thing. You don't want them to feel less than. And, 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 and as I grew wiser, I tell people now, don't discipline your children when you're angry. Because they got this displaced aggression thing. You mad about something else, and right. so now you're going to take it out on your children. And that's what, I, that's what Grandma and them did to us. They, they gave us some time, Major. And I used to, I remember these whipping, man. They gave us time. Boy, if you do that again, okay. Got it. That was one. I didn't know that. I didn't know she was adding them up. I didn't know it. I thought it was just one. But now she, when she whooped me, she called all the warnings out and beat me for all of them at one time. I wish she had just went on and beat me but for one at a time instead of holding them up. And now she got all this anger built up in her. And when parents back in my day, and I don't do this today, man, but I'm telling you, man, back in my day, granddaddy didn't play. Man, whatever he got his hands on was going to be the instrument that you were going to get punished with. Or this extension card or a broom handle. It didn't make no... But I learned from one extension card that I didn't want that no more. It, it didn't kill me. He'd probably be in jail today if he did that because that would be abuse. But back then, you know, granddaddy was probably just one generation removed from slavery. So his mindset was a whole lot different than our mindset today. You don't talk back. Our kids now get, they got freedom. They talk back to you. We, made, we, we, we did that one time, and you're going to get the backhand. Bam. You know, okay, granddaddy done said that. Don't, don't, don't argue with granddaddy. Now, I'm not telling nobody to abuse their kids, but, man, you got to do something to discipline your children without aggravating them, and you don't want them to become discouraged. Then he goes on to talk about those people who are Christians. Say, look, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them at all times. Now, don't look at this as the way we understood slavery from, from, the, from, our, gener from our forefathers. Here, there were various reasons why people would be in position of servitude. Sometimes if you, if you lost a war, you became a, a servant. Sometimes if you owe people money, and you couldn't pay your debt off, you had to go and serve them to pay off your debt. And some people was just indentured type serv or servants who were like what we would call butlers or nannies or maids like that that worked for people like that. But what he was saying is, for us today, you got to look at this. If, if you work for somebody, you work for a company. So he says, now look, you got to live by the Air Force rules or the government rules if you work for them. And you can't just live by the rules, you know, when everybody's around. You got to live by the rules when you're the only person on duty. So you want to try to please them at all times and not just, you know, when they are watching you. What happened to you? <laughs> okay, let, me, let me read on. But then I don't want to go there. I don't want to. He says, serve them sincerely 
because of your reverent fear of the Lord. So you serve as unto the Lord and not unto man. Pastor, said, why, why, did he, why, uh, why did the Bible use the term slaves? Because that, that, the, the Bible, that word people enslaved for various reasons. You know, we just look at slavery from the standpoint of our forefathers of how it was executed here in America. But during that time, Joseph, the slave traders ran back and forth. And, and a lot of times in some of these countries today, there are people who are transported from other countries to Saudi Arabia and those places like that to be servants. Because they go over there to work for those in those kingdoms as servants. Now, I'm pretty sure they get paid pretty good today. But back in the day, you know, those people, people served and was enslaved for different reasons. I'm just telling you, Major. I'm just thinking there's a difference in, you know, in controlling people than people being a servant. I mean, that's, that's, that's two different things. You t you're talking about you con you're controlling my very being. I'm not, a, I'm not allowed. It's not like, okay, I can serve you, and then at 5 o'clock, I'm checking out, and I'm going to the club. It's, it, they will be, they will control, not, uh, yeah, you were a servant, if you want to use that term, but you couldn't, you couldn't do as you wanted to, even as a servant, even if it was, okay, I work as a servant, okay, there has to be a time when I punch out, but here, it sounds like, okay, I, w I was being controlled, not, a, not working for someone, or some company, I was being controlled. I had no say over my life. That's what this sounds like. And it does. And but what he, you know, in other passages, when you tell other passages, when he wrote and talked about this, he tried to tell those people who were Christians and who had servants working for them, or they were, you know, slaves, that they were to treat them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. There was a way that he expected them to be treated, not as they were going to be abused and not they were going to be sold off and split families up the way we saw things play out. Now, why, you know, like I say, now people have taken these passages of Scripture in the Bible to justify slavery. You take this and where he talks about in Ephesians and other places when you look in the Old Testament, people have taken that to justify slavery, you know. And, 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 and what we learned earlier, he said, now look, once we get saved, you know, Christ is all that matters. So if, whether I'm a slave or free, circumcised or uncircumcised, civilized or uncivilized, we got to now treat people like Jesus would treat them. And so that made me major. If you was a hardcore slave owner and you found Jesus, then now you ought to put your slaves on the payroll <laughs> and not just feed them. That's what, that's what they were supposed to do. I'm just saying you should. That's what should happen. But it was just too much capital to be made. That's right. a whole country had and, and a whole country had to go to war right. because of the capital to be made. So, but again, it's in, it's in the Bible. And uh, now, now look, he says, verse 23 through 25, he says, work willingly at whatever you do, talking in all aspects now, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember 
that the Lord would give you an inheritance as a reward and as and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. For God has no favor. He's not aware of trying to say God is not a respecter of person. And then I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1 of chapter 4 because that should go with this chapter versus the next chapter. Because then he says, Masters, you must be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. I, I think when the gospel came to America, they lined through that. Amen. Amen. They, they lined through that just and fair. Because they had read that, there's no way they should have been selling people and breaking them up, breaking up families, right. raping the women, right. and all that. But the sad thing about it, a lot of the people that use that were in church on Sundays and going to hangings in the afternoon. That's right. And so that's why a lot of people will say that an argument that a lot of young people may make is that, hey, Christianity is really not something that is for us as a black people. It's somebody else's religion that got brainwashed in us when we was in slavery. That ain't what God wants. Well, now we got to be able to tell them, well, our folks knew about God before they got to slavery. Because when you study the Bible, you'll find out that God's people were in Africa quite often. Spent a lot of time in Africa. So some of them slaves came over on the ship already knowing who Jesus was. They didn't get here to find out. They already knew. But because of the way it played out here in America, you know, and that's what, like I said, I think Herbert, somebody said it, that, hey, man, we fought a whole war over that issue and still fighting some of the, the remnants of it today. Right. Amen. And so what we got to see is that once we try to put on this new nature and we got this new life, man, we got to do everything that we can. In spite of what we done been through and all those things like that, we don't forget that, but at the same time, we got to remember that, hey, Christ is supposed to be all that matters, Amen. you know, and, and we should hope that that will be common ground for all Christians is that, hey, Jesus is all that matters. Regardless of what color you are, where you're from, what language you speak, Jesus is all that matters. And that got to be taught, got to be learned, got to be lived. Amen? Any, any other question before we close out? Any other question before we close out? Any other questions? Okay.